Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. I am your host with a nice warm cup of coffee. I'm here with Lance Psycho. Warm? Yeah. Hot. Normally I have iced coffee. Mm. Why? Hot? Was I supposed to use hot? I just, uh, wow. I guess it's, I guess it's, it's not even Friday the 13th. Feels like it should be. Because of what? Drinking warm coffee. I don't get what you're getting with this as well. You drink iced coffee. I do drink iced coffee. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the reason why I brought it up too is like I was trying to subliminally talk to our listeners like, hey, there's Monday morning coffee. You listen to this without advertising, advertising. Yeah, check it out. Now you made it awkward. You should be checking it out. But that's sure. cool. Yeah. What else we got? You know what should be free, Al? Ooh, a lot. Of, no, uh, not much. Not much should be free, but if there is anything that should be free, it should be BIM content. And you shouldn't have to give up your personal data in exchange for it. That's why... ArcCat believes. ArcCat offers data-rich objects, families, and systems for free and without registration. To sweeten the deal, you can download these files in the last four editions of Revit. That's right. 2021, 2020, 2019, and 2018. Or in SketchUp format or DWG. Go to ArcCat.com today and enjoy the freedom. We love freedom over here at Inside the Firm. So that's A-R-C-A-T. Dot com and start building better content today. Uh, there's two type of people that I think are... Exist? Nope. Oh. And now people who like me, people that don't like there me. There you go. Um, that's probably true. Uh, that that Revit Rocket Ship is great for it. RevitRocketShip.com. I think anyone who is in college or around college or getting into a firm... I think you learn Revit haphazardly through college in different ways. I think this is a systematic approach um, that mimics the way construction works, and that's the way your brain should think um, to operate on first principles to design and model like it's going to get constructed. So if you're in that boat, I think you should go check it out. The other group is people that have been doing AutoCAD for a long time. Uh, A person just signed up, and essentially... Uh, clients and other people are asking them on these newer projects, hey, can you work in Revit? They say yes. They, you know, learn a little bit. And basically the feedback I've been getting is that just random YouTube videos aren't cutting it. Because it's not comprehensive. It's from different approaches. It's from different thought patterns. Different versions of Revit. Different versions, all that stuff. So purchasing Revit rocket ship and rocking it with the rocket ship. Because it's a, it's a comprehensive um, and when I mean comprehensive, it's not going to show you everything, mm-hmm. but it's going to show you literally from starting from scratch to making a building. Exciting. And how that works. So go check it out, RevitRocketShip.com. And if you are looking for that special kind of window to take your project to the next level, I highly recommend you go over to PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. Check out all of those brands over there. Because you've never experienced the brands like they have before. The collection of band, bl- brands within the luxury division of Pella are the conversation starters, the pioneers of 
the industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. They have decades of experience creating things no one else in the world is creating, and the collection of brands are brought together to complement and build on one another. They don't push beyond the limits. They set them. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today. Lance, what is the number one skill a graduating student can come out of college with for architecture? Communication. I love that answer. Do you really? Yes. Because it was it was half in half in jest and half not in jest. Because I'm gonna read I'm gonna read you a quick post before you answer before you go further into yep. it. Okay. Okay. I posted this on LinkedIn today. It did much better than uh, a different post we'll talk about later. After after nearly 12 years in business, I'm convinced that if you do these three things well, you beat 90% of the competition 100% of the time. I, so I this, love the way he said that. 90% of the competition 100% exactly. of the time. Exactly. Uh, number one, respond to emails, calls, voicemails, or texts within 24 hours or less of receiving them. Who Did you write this? I wrote this. Number oh, two, okay. reply, <laughs> all on, reply all on email threads when applicable. Yep. I don't know how many times I still have to train adults yep. to reply all. Number three, actually read the emails and respond to all questions within, not just one. Um, Lance is so enthusiastic about communication that he had a dream fight with me about communication. That's how much you think about communication, that you're fighting your partner in your dreams. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I love that. The only thing that's hard is that uh, I f- there's not a class on communication, and if there was it would literally be that one thing. And then you would have to follow the student and be like, are you doing this? Are you doing this? Are you doing this? Are you doing this? I think that's a great answer though. So the, the typical ones, um, I believe are, uh, learn Revit and, uh, know how a building goes together. Like if you know those two, because they already get you, you'll either, you'll get design in college. And if you don't, you're just terrible at design then because they give you plenty enough time for it. So the, uh, a kid, I'll say a kid just because he's in college, uh, emailed me, gave me his phone number. He wanted advice about you know architecture of the profession. Called him when I was driving back from Denver. Denver stinks, by the way. That's a little nah. preview. Uh, it's a little tease. And, and he asked me, and I, and I said, Revit. I go, but the problem is, and I didn't want to plug Revit rocket ship to him because I didn't want to seem like a stooge. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with learning Revit is get, get good in Revit in college, but every firm's going to have their own kind of way and their own kind of system. So it's like everyone thinks that they know Revit in college. And then two weeks at our firm, they're like, I knew nothing. And we're like, yeah, it's hard to tell you that you know nothing. You know, um, the, the reason I would plug Revit rocket ship is because it's, it's a way more closer approach to how a professional firm works, even if it's not exactly how they do it. Um, but I didn't want to say, go buy this from me kid who just called me randomly. The other one is get construction experience. Would you agree that that is huge? Just being able to visualize that process. God, even if you spend one summer on on a job site. Yep. So massive. Just just so you just so you just so you get a tactile feel of. And I know it's I know we say it jokingly, but it's also serious. Like stacking shit on top of shit. Yeah. Thinking about the sequence. Yep. That's the biggest thing. The biggest thing of unpacking how construction works is the sequence. Yep. And also like. I think it indirectly applies to like, what section should I cut? What D shells should I make sure is there? All that. The problem, the advice that I gave to him off the cuff, and I think that this is great advice actually, 
as I said, you should do as many summers as you can, right? One summer is totally fine. But the problem is, I think it's how people approached getting that job. So this is how I would approach it back in the day, and this would have been wrong. Like you would have Googled, found the top couple contractors, emailed them, right? They probably would have been big contractors because that's who will show up on Google. It would have went to some secretary or something. They would have forwarded it to someone, right, who sits in the office. He might have gotten it out to the field guy, right? And the field guy is like, yeah, I did need someone, but like, I don't know if this guy meets it. It's going to go nowhere. You are not going to get a job that way. The way to get a construction job is find the places, drive around town where construction is happening, mm-hmm. show up, say, hey, is there a super, you know, is the super here? Is the GM here? And literally ask them, say, hey, I'm an architecture grad. Um, I'm trying to get summer experience. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't have much construction experience. I can th- be anything from a gopher to a cleanup man to, uh, um, you know, framing to being a, a, a cut person, whatever you want me to do, I am willing to learn and do it just so I can be on the job site and as many job sites as you want to put me on. A super is going to look around and be like, oh yeah, I need a gopher or, oh, that framing team needs an extra person. Go talk to them or yes, you're hired. Like you need to go to the job site and literally just ask and then plan on maybe going to 10. Right. Bring bring a hard hat, bring a vest, Great bring, some, bring some boots, uh, bring, um, b- uh, have uh, pants on, like uh, jeans. Yep. Uh, short sleeve shirt is fine. Um, some gloves, safety glasses, kind of have that all ready. Because yep. honestly, I could see people saying, sure. Uh, Can you could, start right now? Could you, could you start right now? And then be ready to be ready to do that. And and see where that takes you. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly what it is. I, m- I remember when I got my first construction job. I said I I'll do I'll do I'll do whatever it takes. And they go, okay, great. Um, you can come up on the roof when the job site is clean, and then you can start actually yep. doing things. Yep. And so I was the best cleaner upper of all time. And yep. then I was up on the roof. And and here's the secondary and probably third effect, if I can think about it. One uh, side note: female, same thing. We have at least two female framers slash picking up stuff slash doing everything. Um, and it's no, like, do not be intimidated. Go out and do it. You can do the work. I remember building this. Some of our architect females, like, you can move piles of wood. It's no big deal. Um, because here's a secondary effect. <clears throat> if you are even just that cleaner person, there's an electrician there or someone doing something, right? Say hi to him. After you say hi to him, next day, you know, Denver Bronco loses a game. Be like, ah, did you see the game? Denver lost again, you know, or, or whatever. Start some sort of conversation and, and, and don't, don't push it because then in a couple days you could say, Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm putting these wires. Oh, why are you doing it like that? Oh, we need to put this in first because of blah, 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 blah. Just start making friends and yeah. start asking questions Yeah. because I mean, it, it, it's just, it's just huge. It's just huge. If you could do that for at least one summer or possibly two or three, you'll be worlds ahead. You'll be worlds ahead. Because we've had architects, not architects, but people who are going to be architects, whatever they're called these days, come and say, I, I want to go on the job site more to see what's going on. Great. We'll take you there. Yep. The other the other skill, I think, is uh, th- you need to be careful. Uh, if you're a student, I think you need to... I think there's a fine line between you... Um, coming off way too aggressive and um, versus eager mm. and and willing to just willing to get in where you fit in 
I think that's probably the best way to put it. So we, we've interviewed candidates who have their own website to the point of they almost look like their own company already. They're kind of going after their own work already. And then we've, and then some of them on that same kind of vein of people, we've asked them, where do you see yourself in three, five, 10 years? Some of them maybe even said it where you're sitting, you know, as, a, as an answer to us. I think that's really aggressive. And I'm, and I, I, as somebody who hires and understands what it takes and has, has, has brought people from sort of ground up, meaning they don't really, they think they know a lot coming out of school and then they get into the firm and they go, holy shit, I know nothing. And I've actually have current employees kind of break that down to us at a certain point. Yeah. After a couple of months, normally they come in and they go, how am I doing? Because I feel like I finally know that I know nothing. <laughs> yeah and being highly intimidated and we try to not be intimidating i mean what we have an open office culture we try we have all these how-to and tutorial videos but we're going to throw in billable work at you almost instantly and and even have you engaging with clients um kind of right off the bat yeah communication is key That's communication right. is key exactly so i i think coming in and demanding uh crazy high salaries based on the AIA documents and presenting yourself as basically a business and doing all the, and doing and saying things like I want to be in your position in 10 years, five, 10 years is not the right approach. Um, you need to, so I, I think you need to suppress that a little bit and keep it in the, keep it, keep it in the back of your brain. That, that's where you're going to be at some point, hopefully. And then you plow forward because you, there's a lot of learning to do. Uh, an insane amount of learning to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to dive into that deeper just to give any listeners kind of cues or, or tips. Um, th- that's Lance's thing. Uh, I, I interpret that with positive intent, meaning like I'm ambitious, you know, I, sure. w- I want to grow, stuff like that. Um, so if someone has that, what, what's, a, what's a different way of saying it? What's a different way of showing that, hey, you're ready to, willing to, to do the work, um, and, and it, you know, like maybe it's, I want to take work off of your plate. So you have less to do, you know what I mean? Like that's the positive interpretation of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just know that I think first impressions are, they aren't everything, but man, they certainly last for a long time, mm-hmm. you know? So just be aware of how you're presenting yourself. Yes. Yes. And I, here's where you, you split it is that. Lance and I know, and a lot of people that are, are senior or even more senior than us, that it's going to be a lot of effort and a lot of knowledge from these brains into your brain. Mm-hmm. And if... An investment. And you, investment. We, we are investing a lot of capital and time and risk into building you. Yep. Hours of sitting down, hours of making tutorials, hours of, you know, s- small little helps and corrections... And if, if what's coming across is, oh, I'm just going to take that and do my own thing. There you go. That's the wrong vibe. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, was, did you put this article in here about, nope. uh, nope. about the markets? No, uh, you didn't. Is nope. that me? Okay, great. Even better. All right. Uh, so some good news, Al. I've got some good news. This article was published July 17th, uh, 2021. And so it's from marketsbusinessinsider.com. The title is Lumber Prices Will Fall Back to Pre-Pandemic Levels Within a Year Amid Considerable Volatility Investment, Chief says. So uh, we are in much better shape 
Lumber prices fell for the 10th consecutive week to trade at $536 per thousand board feet, 67% lower from their May 7th peak of $1,670,000 per board feet around a year ago. The the commodity was hovering just above $400. If I look at the uh, uh, lumber futures chart today, let's see where we're at today. Uh, we are we spiked up again because there's going to be a retrace. If anybody is a, an investor, they understand the Fibonacci uh, sequence, and so now we're at uh, today six hundred and forty-seven dollars per thousand board feet. And this is kind of what I was I've been telling clients is that um, the retrace. I think we're going probably going to end up somewhere. Honestly, like it's it, between seven hundred and fifty and a thousand dollars a board foot, but there is some relief. Um, coming coming along the way. Yep. So I, I think you're in much better shape if you are planning on building quarter one, 2022. Yes. Then if you can postpone it till then, I think that's probably the way you should go. Yeah. Ideally. Um, and, and the reason why too, I just had a client talk to me because he's ordering a bunch of lumber and he's like, the prices aren't coming down relative to the board feet. Why do you think that is? And I go, one, they probably... Some of these yards have a bunch of lumber at, at a higher price. That's one. And then two, it's the same as gas. Gas shoots up. All of a sudden, the barrel shoots down. They keep it. They milk as much as they can get and come down only as slowly as they have to. That's Those are the two things that I think are happening. So, like, the prices at the stores are not matching lumber futures uh, percentage-wise. It's going to happen. Yep. Eventually. Yep. That's why 2021. Like, it's going to take them a while. Yeah, 2022. There you go. Yeah. We are, yep, coming in the future. Al, what do we got next? Denver stinks. What? Uh, I know there's a lot of homeless folk there, and I know there's a lot of people. Is that what you're talking about? Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Um, I called Lance after a frustrating Thursday and saying that building inspections should be privatized. Uh, and, And here's why. Yes. Uh, He's on board finally. A couple couple weeks ago, I set up an inspection. It said like one o'clock estimated time. Uh, Around 11, I went to the grocery store to pick up some food. The person came and said, I don't have time to wait. I'm leaving. And I got there. I got there at like 830 in the morning, right? Um, So that that stunk. (laughs) Redid it. Came down, you know, like a couple days later. at, at 11 or something after it came down at 8 at 11 or 12 or 1 or something like that they didn't even show up and they said uh, they canceled it and said go talk to the building official the head building official we did something wrong okay go talk to the head building official clear that up <clears throat> oh we have to do these uh, electrical ones electrician sets them up he's sitting there waiting <laughs> the inspector comes he doesn't have everything uncovered and everything undone. How is he supposed to know? He says, I don't have time for you to do that. Reschedule it. The, this, they don't have time to wait for anything, but we have all the time in the world is, is baffling. Luckily, this client is, is, is awesome, and I can sit in his living room, and I do work during He's it. He's so good. Yep. Um, anyways, so then he gets a pass. Now I do my, my final inspection. All day, sit in there, cancel it, go talk to the building official because the building official didn't tell them that what we're doing is, is right. 
what is going on. What is happening? This repeat of, I don't have time. This, this, you know, like zero customer service, like God complex that you're the only thing that monopoly matters. man that needs to stop. And, and, and because, uh, safe built reviews plants, safe built actually like they are professional. Like I've seen comments from them. It's not that they don't give any comments whatsoever. It's just their comments are clear, concise to the point, pertinent, pertinent, all that. Uh, I'm not convinced that safe built is unsafe because they're private and they're cutting corners and they're not doing right. As a professional, I have... There's got to be some competition. Yeah. That's the only way... People complain about... Um, so, is it Moore's Law? Is that the one that I'm thinking of that is... That's uh, the doubling of that, computer power. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. Moore's Law has proven that, like... Okay, now we have this supercomputer right. in, our, in our possession at all times. It's like a tricorder. Sure. My, honestly, like, if you're hiking at this point... Either if you have no service, you can find your GPS. You can take temperature readings with like this. We're in the we're in the Star Trek future as, far, future as far as computers and stuff go. But so why is the building industry lagging so far behind? And I have I have a little okay little teaser for you about why I think that is. And I think it would help if we had some competition and and, whoop, and oh. a couple of things were privatized so that we could. We started to privatize a little bit, so at least there was a competition between public and private. Yeah. Because right now, this, like you said, this monopoly is is frustrating, and I'm, I'm not convinced it's working be, be, either. Because literally, what if I had to pay? I, I would make this choice now. Be like, okay, you can go through Denver. You can go through this company or this company. After the experience that I have, if one company is saying like, hey, cost you 40 bucks more, but we have a guaranteed window that will show up within these two hours. Yep. I'd be like, oh, because like I had my work and stuff ready and everything was was fine, but there was actually some things I couldn't do. I was like, ah, oh, the papers are on my People, desk. Exactly. Can can exactly can there be some kind of uh, market interjection, some free market interjection that then like let's say half of that expedited fee then went back to the freaking black hole of the government. To you know what I mean? And and who cares? Like I'm I guarantee there is a there is a market there for this to happen. Yep. The, one of the things that I think is probably holding it back too, besides just the government saying no, is that I think market forces could maybe convince the you know the city councils to allow this. Here's the problem, and I want to know how SafeBuilt did it because maybe they could just apply this to inspections too. Hey, the building official missed something, right? The building got built. There's one plug that isn't six feet away. That's supposed to be six feet away. You can't. You cannot sue. The 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 city, the building officials. Yeah. Like you just you just you just can't. If it's a private company, like why of, can't I sue them? <laughs> you know, yeah. they missed that one thing. What a lot of people don't realize is like, I don't think normal people realize how complicated buildings are, and also it's still handmade. Blah blah blah. Um, so it, it's hard to convince people of that. That like, yeah, I don't know. I've seen books. I've seen popular books that I've caught a spelling error in. That's bad. 100%. That's bad. But it happens. That's 10,000 words but times 10,000 books a year. Yeah. It's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so what I was doing in anticipation of this segment is I was looking up, uh, I tried to look up um, the uh, government, I was literally looking up government monopoly on building departments. Mm -hmm. And I found three different articles and I think this one probably is going to speak to you the most. So it's, uh, 
Uh, Mises.org is one of my favorite websites of all time. They have it's a, it's a uh, nonprofit, a scholarly uh, free market um, dot org, and and they they do a great job of of breaking things down. So this article is called "Government Codes Versus Innovation." It's actually eleven years old, but holy cow, is it timely! So uh, and it's by a Colorado uh, Northern Colorado building um, uh, contractor. Uh, named Aaron Everett. So, uh, American society is addicted to safety. For some reason, the country decided that the highest and best priority as a nation is to avoid the risk associated with life. Everywhere, a person looks like they are surrounded by innumerable safety devices to protect themselves from the evils of modernity. From the moment one is introduced to the world as an infant, there are safety latches on cabinets and standardized cribs to keep children from dying. It follows the American through life and has created a culture entirely dependent on the mysterious illusion of the, quote, someone or, quote, something that will protect them from the evils of the world. That's, can I just interject? Yeah. So uh, Longmont is considering basically adding inspections to existing buildings, right? Which I think is gonna cause a hassle because they're going to get confused about, you know, hey, there's going to be a new code. Well, does that apply to old building or not? It, it's going to be a nightmare. And the reasons why people got up and spoke, the reasons why, like, hey, there was a wobbly handrail and it was at my daughter's apartment complex and she didn't want to tell them because she didn't want to be seen as, as a, a problem person. But I went in as the mom and told them and they fixed it. But this is a problem. Be like, Sounds like you what? solved the problem. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Not, uh, <laughs> but it goes back to like, oh, that daughter waiting for someone else. Her mom stepped in. But anyways, it's it still got fixed. Yeah. What are you talking about? Safety codes face backwards. The inherent nature of public safety in America today is reactive. One can't anticipate what the dangers of something will be until after the accident has occurred. The typical cycle goes like this. A new product is offered to the public that follows all of the current safety codes available to its creator. An unforeseen accident happens. An outcry is heard from the media and the masses that, quote, something has to be done, quote, to protect us from this evil that has readily been consumed. A council is established to evaluate the issues associated with the, quote, obvious safety issue. A new code is established to prevent the last tragedy along with a new regulatory enforcement agency to make sure all the new codes are being adhered to. There are examples of this cycle throughout the manufacturing and service sectors. Nearly everything one can buy in today's marketplace, from mattresses to laptops, is adorned with safety labels and warnings. The counter-argument from the status is this, quote, Yes, but these warnings exist to stop some capitalistic creep from harming someone while trying to make a buck, end quote. No one is denying that there are capitalistic creeps who willfully take advantage of the system. We agree. Cronyism needs to stop. But the issue isn't with the creep. The system itself is faulty. It's the very premise that that one should be able, without any personal responsibility, to purchase products or services in blind faith, confident that someone is looking out for them. There have always been snake oil salesmen, but in the past, people used to tar and feather those who ripped them off not allow them to stay in business with a different kind of oil. What the system has created in an imperative is an imperative that businesses find loopholes or become collusive. 
all of a company's efforts become focused on how to manufacture its product at a low price and find a way through or into the most recent code. This doesn't imply criminal intent. Finding a loophole is often the difference between surviving in the market and folding up shop. There are loopholes or ways of meeting only nominal standards of safety defeats the purpose of regulations. So um, I'm not I'm not even saying we should eliminate all regulations. I'm saying that we should have competition yes, so that it's same. so that there's a feedback loop so same. that ones that don't matter get eliminated because it's wasting time and energy on nonsense. Rational thought can take place. For example, hey, this this part of the I've had this discussion with Billing Fischl is unclear. In the next iteration of the code, it makes it clear because they had so much problems with it. Can we just go with that interpretation? They said no because they haven't adopted it yet. So they're going to make up their own determination when the code council has already decided like, hey, this is what we meant, right? <clears throat> but going back to see if my circle of logic here works. Okay. Elon Musk did a tweet, tweet. Um, or, or I think he said it. He was on some Bitcoin conference. Um he said, hey, if you hate corporations, you should really hate the government. Yes. Right? And then I followed... Because they're the biggest corporation. That comment thread. And they said, no, um, that's wrong, Elon. I don't know who said this, but uh, because corporations uh, pay the government and capture the government to, to make you know laws and rules for them. And then my circle of logic goes... <clears throat> No, he's right because that's government acting like a corporation. Exactly, that's government in collusion. In, in collusion with the corporation is like, okay, uh, and and we don't got to have to get philosophical. But hey, Lance, I'm gonna pay you uh, four hundred dollars to look the other way. Yes, I'm wrong, right? Yeah. If you say yes, and you are the person in charge looking, you're acting just you're you're complicit. You're complicit in it. Yeah. Yep. So and and it's all about the money too, and that's what corporations are being. That's the big thing about corporations. They're money, uh, grub, money grubbing, you know, one-eyed psychopses, right? One hundred percent. They yep. got to make the profit for the board. And and here's here's what the point I'm trying to make. You believe that the government isn't exactly. So it's an overconfident overconfidence in government and its promises, right? That's yep. literally the next segment here of of this. It's perfect. Yep. So, but our system also fosters other dangerous and unintentional risks. The think of the recent mining accident in West Virginia, the oil rig explosion. This was in 2010. The oil rig explosion off in the Gulf of Mexico, or the so-called fruit of kaboom bomber. I don't even know what that is. The commonality in all cases is that the safety of employees and consumers was in the hands of a pre-established government agency that was supposedly ensuring safety. When a government agency fails, does it face the threat of bankruptcy or sacrifice as a result of its failure? As would any private agency, like Alex was saying, you can't, you know, you could sue the private agency in charge of such weighty manners. Of course they don't. Instead, they are generally awarded more money and a larger scope of powers to make sure it doesn't happen again, right? They got to create like a safety, safety of the safety. Yeah. The argument most advanced is that only government will have the impartiality to witness the poor safety practices in the free market. If the government were not there, many argue, greedy corporations would run unchecked, raping and pillaging every consumer they could with the might of Sherman and Atlanta. Ooh, Sherman reference. Like Mark that. Mark Thornton's article on the private production of safety points out the flaw in this thinking. 
One of the most respective testing laboratories in the country is privately owned. Called the Underwriters Laboratory, as Dr. Thornton writes. Oh my God, I forgot that they're private. Yep. And that's that's the gold standard. And to interrupt you because my name UL. is... UL. Yeah. Yep. yep. Interrupting now, so I get a pass. Yeah. Um, corporations are, are basically demified because they're just going after money. They are going after money, but like their main goal is capturing market share and able to do that. To hit this point home, that is literally what the government is doing. You don't equate it to money because you think, oh, fees, stuff like that. No, no, no. They are getting a monopoly, which is market share, and then they are getting fees for safety, not only of their own job, but then to grow their job and to grow the people under them. So naturally, if you have 10 people under you, you should have a, a bonus. And it's not Jeff Bezos's money, right? It's not millions and millions and millions of dollars, but it's happening on this mid-level <clears throat> and then time out too. And then it's being allowed, not only is it happening on this mid-level, on the bigger level, yep. um, all of a sudden you are some senator or actually you are just a staff person for the senator and you get in with Lockheed Martin and that senator trusts you and you're going to recommend the F-35 that costs $4 billion and guess what kind of job you get after this? You get a government relations job that pays $275,000 a year where you just have to talk to your old buddies and wine and dine them. Man. Tell me that isn't a corporation. Exactly. It's very, I mean, the line is very thin between the two and it's off, it's blurry, yeah. right? Okay, so uh, Thornton goes on to write, uh, the very existence of the lab debunks the common civics text view that without government intervention, private businesses would seek profit without regard for safety. Thus, bureaucrats have to police markets to impose a balance between private interests and the common good of the government, according to this view, is the only thing standing between us and unceasing fatal accidents. This myth has been constant, consistently debunked through real-world circumstances, yet it remains firmly fixed in the psychology of American workers and consumers. Coal miners go to work with an artificially bolstered confidence simply because there is a Mine Safety Administration monitoring their situation. Deep-sea oil workers have misguided confidence in their equipment because the derrick they are are on recently won an award from safety from the federal government. And I think this is a confusion. There, there are anarchists, and that's fine, right? We're not talking about them. We're talking about a free market system to, to most of these problems and unchronifying uh, the government, meaning we've all uh, learned about Silent Spring and rat poop in, in food and all that. Okay, the government can say, and I'm fine with this, no rat poop in food. I don't think they should have a monopoly on the inspectors, on all the, all, every, you know, absolutely everything. There should be competition to make sure this happens. Like, oh, they're putting rat poop in food. Uh, private in investigators, you know, found it or like they were, um, and, you know, now they're getting sued because they made all these people sick. That's fine. But government is just taking over the market share so they just grow Larger, just like a corporation. Yeah. So uh, last point of this article, which is kind of the whole crux of it is uh, to bring it back, kind of bring it full circle was why aren't, why isn't the building industry innovating at the level that say these computers are, right? So here we go. The case of housing codes. Another unintended consequence of state codification of safety are the resulting disincentives to innovate. Instead of putting efforts toward the risky endeavor of product innovation, a business is forced to put its effort towards finding a way to meet or overcome the code. There is no better example of this than the housing industry. 
Very few people realize that a political nonprofit organization has established an international code and body to govern the construction of houses. This group is lobbying the government to establish uniform codes throughout the United States. This collusive device has been established to empower the government at all levels to dictate how a home should be constructed, what safety and what safety measures should be implemented. Corporations understanding the power of a universal housing code and its governing bodies have made an effort to get their products and brand included in the code. Tyvek House Wrap, Simpson Strong Ties, and uh, Dow Blue Board are just a few of the major companies who have their product mentioned by name in the code. Do they really? Wow. Major changes occur in this code every two to three years that require home builders to revise their plans, layouts, and product selections in order to meet the code. Instead of spending time on adapting their product to the desires of the consumers, home, home builders are busy adapting their homes to the code. Innovation is the victim. Most home builders don't have the staff to introduce innovative plans while also ensuring that they keep up with the code. In fact, many construction companies don't draw their own plans. So they hire an architect hey. to revise the plans and then they essentially throw good money after bad just to imply just to comply with the current international code, which is almost always adopted by the local jurisdiction without question. The same money could have been used to redesign a plan to be more in line with the market's desires or to hire the same architect to use his or her creativity of his or her technical skills. Architects must instead set aside their creativity, kowtowing to the power of the bureaucracy rather than pleasing customers. This code often is held up, especially by the establishment entities such as the American Institute of Architects, as a stimulus that will invigorate the building and design industry. Yet, these groups lobby for it because it promises a consistent flow of income and makes them essential to the home building process. Without an architect, it is argued, how could a building be safe? For what reason would a home builder have any vested interest in privately monitoring the safety of his cl clientele? The lack of innovation in home building is largely the result of having to spend money on old ideas. Is anyone really safer because sterilizers have been lowered a half inch over the last eight years? It may sound silly to discuss, but is it, a, it is a fact that every home builder in the nation has had to revisit and change plans to accommodate the new standard. The latest international code calls for every home, including Lance's, to have a residential sprinkler system, regardless of the size of the building. Mostly, this ensures that more stuff will end up wet than prevented from catching on fire. While these expensive systems will put out some fires, they will also cause incidents of severe flooding. You have talked about this many times, Mr. Gore, and perhaps other unforeseen consequences that are yet to be realized. Enormous amounts of money in homeowners insurance will be spent because of system failures, and we will all be worse off as a result. However, it's a perfect scenario for our would-be regulators of public safety. More fear, another commission, another code, another villain. The response will not be to allow the marketplace to decide what is desired by the homeowners. Undoubtedly, most would, opt, would remove or opt out to install the sprinkler system. If I had had that opportunity, I would have. I, I don't need a freaking sprinkler system in my house in the middle of Boulder County. One acre. I sit on one acre. Like, there's, there's nobody no. around me. There's no trees. Oh, I could have finished my basement right away instead of just now. Anyway, instead, expect a mandated code that all homes include a massive bucket to, <laughs> to accommodate the inevitable flooding. 
Economics is the study of unintended, unintended consequences. Codes are merely the inadequate and disproportionate reaction to the unintended consequences. The victim is liberty. Uh, Aaron Everett is a home builder in Northern Colorado. He is active in libertarian politics. Great article. Yeah. Um, would his solution be uh, home builders are building homes. There's different codes out there and they just advertise to what standard that they have. Like, hey, we follow this or hey, we have our own internal system. Um, hey, we have this. You know, like it's, it's up to them to, to, to make and market it. That's an interesting idea. I haven't thought about it that way. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Fair enough. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I just think at some point is it just reminds me of the common sense, right? So how many, how many, how many, so prior to 2010, because in 2012, that's when the IRC adopted this whole, every single family home in America, um, in, in every jurisdiction that blindly adopts that version of the code and doesn't exempt themselves from the sprinkler provision is saying they should all be sprinklered. Okay. Is, is that blanket solution worth, is it worth, uh, the increase in cost to do that over the long run compared to how many houses existed before this for how many thousands of years? Like, I just don't under like it's an it's an overreaction. It's what it yes. just sort of points to at the end. So like at what at what point do the codes become um, uncommon sense? There's a plenty of them that make common sense. Yeah. Most of them, it seems like up until about 2012, made a lot of sense to me. But then as soon as we started hitting that sprinkler stuff, and then you and then you see then you see with the energy codes too. It's like there's going we're going to hit a limit of insulation here. That just they're the rate of the rate of return that you get on the investment doesn't make any sense at yeah. all. Um, and man, it's like the it's like California recently with the unintended. So they have because because they are one of the leaders per capita in electric cars. They already have the rolling blackouts. Everybody knows about that, and now they're exasperating the problem with the electric car. With the with the rate of electric car adoption there, and, and their and then their refusal ref, refusal to like diversify and like do more nuclear plants or thorium plants or whatever. Yeah. So uh, remind me of the word scared, but just on that tangent, just because I am, let's face it, a Elon Musk fan. Someone tweeted Tesla owners there are are plugging in their cars and because they have their whole system and they can manage it and putting power back in the grid. And uh, Elon Musk said. Um, this uh, decentralization is going to be key to the future. So like people having their own solar panels, yes. their own stuff, things like that. Um, especially if you, like I'm highly, <clears throat> the power this summer at my house has went out twice. Really? Twice. It's all came back on within two hours, both times. Huh. This happens in the winter. You've heard horror stories, weeks, stuff like that. Like oh, like Texas. Texas. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm thinking about getting a wood. Uh, nice. You know. Stove. Yeah. Stove. Because like I just don't trust it. I just don't. Tr- the like, they se- might- it's too centralized, like you said. Like exactly, too centralized. And so like the decentralization in this case is a perfect example of some competition with this monopolized system, uh, system that we live in. Yep. So w- what I'm getting at, though, going back to what you're saying, is that I think it's very easy to hijack our primitive brains, everyone's included. Meaning, it's easy to scare someone. Mm. 
and then say, we need a solution to this. And especially if one bad thing happened to you, that is a person that's then going to champion that and then say like, man, everyone needs this to happen because what if this happens to the hundred other thousand people? And then the person saying like, yeah, what if that did happen to a hundred thousand people and I represent them, I could be in trouble. It's only, it's almost like a gotcha. It's almost yeah. like one it's thing goes wrong. Yep. Yep. There, it's almost like they're forced into answering that way. And, and I, I just wish people would have more courage because when I went again, uh, against the planning department, I even had one person say, uh, and this was all, all public, like everything you want to do makes sense. Every, every, everything you want to do actually seems fine, but because it's written this way, um, it, 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 it's not allowed and it fits within the neighborhood and everything's fine. I, I, he's like, I'm torn, but I have to vote against it. It's like, man, I wish you would have had some courage there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because this is, if you want to tie this to, uh, current events, there's a Paralympic lady. Have you heard this? Mm-mm. She's blind. And Para- paraplegic. Paraplegic. Is that what yep. she is? But para- the Paralympics that oh, happened okay. right after the Olympics, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. She's a swimmer. Someone will be shouting her name listening to this. Um, she's blind and deaf, right? So they have uh, assistants that help them. And the Olympics said, "You, we will provide your own, our own. You can't bring anyone. She goes, I need a trusted person. I'm going to be in a pool. I'm going to be walking around. This is a new stadium. Um, it happens to be my mom. <laughs> You've let me do this. She's been like in these games, you know how there's like the gold cup and you know, that's soccer, but you know, there's these qualifying things. It's always been my mom. (laughs) They at the Olympics, they have 33 swimmers in, in, in whatever she's in. They only have one helper for these 33. Everyone has some sort of issue. Nine of them are blind and deaf, blind and or deaf. So you're telling me one person is going to be able to be like, Help, give the level of care and safety yeah. and you're not going to, and this is what we're getting at, at these rules. Like you make a blanket rule yeah. and then all of a sudden, Hey, this lady wants an exception. They want her mom to be her trusted walk around person up. Oh, nope. Says it. Oh, let's go up. Nope. Sorry. Can't allow it. That's what the rule says. What are you doing? What are you doing? How, how people are allowing that at those stages is, is cowardice. Oh man, I feel like we need a break here. Um, I got somebody on the. Let's let. I think we've exhausted that topic. Yeah, I think we can go to a little the, Nick. You want to go to Nick with some Nick reads? Let's do it. Here we go. Hello, best friends. I hope you all had a great week this week. A reading. Jeff Bezos has a net worth of $205 billion. The U.S. government is projected to spend $6 trillion in 2021. Jeff Bezos spent $5.5 billion to fly into space. Based on this spending, the cost of Jeff Bezos' spaceflight could fund the U.S. government for about eight hours. And based on this spending, Jeff Bezos' entire net worth could fund the U.S. government for just a little over 12 days. Toodles! I I wish we could all focus. 
and we didn't have the attention span of of less than a goldfish now in America, and we could. It's so I think it's okay to have the knee jerk reaction of like, oh my god, Richard Branson could have done this with the money, uh, Elon or Elon Musk could have done with this with the money, Jeff Bezos who you just heard about uh, could have done this with the money. Fair enough, have that thought, but then think, all right, if I'm worried about that, maybe what is the what is a bigger thing that I should be worried about? Like where where is uh, my money being spent, right? So that was the whole point of that read, I think, was to kind of refocus and think about who is truly the villain here and spending all of this money in very, very, very poor ways. It, it reminds me, uh, there's been memes floating around since, since these two have went to space. Yep. A ton of memes. And one of the memes that makes me laugh every single time that I see it is like, uh, it's a picture of um, the Wright brothers and yeah. it's sarcastic caption. It says something to the tune of, I wish they would have, like, why didn't they spend their their time making bicycles for the poor versus Ooh. innovating? Making a rocket that lands itself. That's never been Literally making before. a plane, though. The Wright brothers. Think about yeah, that. Yeah, the yeah. Wright brothers. Right. Why? Like, that's the way to think about this, I think. That's my opinion. But, like, think about how much better your life is now that we have air travel. Yep. It's massive. And yep. then all of the things that have come with that. Yeah. So... Is would the Wright brother? Would you be painting the Wright brothers in the same situation, in the same light, as like Bezos and Branson? Like I don't give a crap that they're spending their own money. Yep. And, but do you know why he got in so much trouble? Besides, he would have anyways. Bezos. Be, yep. He would have anyways. Hey, he's a villain. Yep. But he said in this speech, he goes, "I want to thank all the Amazon employees and everyone that's purchased anything from Amazon because you helped pay for this." Yeah. And, but everyone, a lot of people took that the wrong way. Like, well, I wish you would have paid your employees more. I wish you wouldn't have made them work so hard. I wish you, you know, whatever. If you strongly believe that, and that's fine. You can strongly believe sure. that he doesn't pay his people enough, that stuff gets here too fast, all of that. Please, I, I'm saying this. I mean this. Do not buy from Amazon. Don't do it. Do not buy from Amazon. Don't work for him. Do not buy from Amazon. Well, I don't have a choice. Yes, you do. Yep. You do. Don't, don't give me that crap. You have, you have the power. You have the power to do it. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. You are the power. Spike Cohen. Yeah. Uh, all right. What do we got next, Al? I think let's bring it down, everyone, for ARE Jeopardy. Let's do it. All right. Question one. An architect slash you have been selected to complete a major interior and exterior renovation. Yep. Uh, of all... S- areas within a three-story library building okay the building was constructed in the 1980s good decade i was born there lance was born there medium decade during the <laughs> programming phase of the project which of the following should the architect recommend to the client regarding accessibility okay everyone got the question perfect i don't want to reread it that's why i asked a um only the public spaces need to be made accessible B, only the primary functioning spaces need to be made accessible. C, all areas of the library should be made accessible. D, since this is a renovation to an existing building, accessibility upgrades are not required. Which one? All right, ready? We got C, A, B, C. 
The correct answer is C, and it's because it is a major renovation to all areas. All right, and that was, yeah, all areas of the library should be made accessible. Question two, setback rules as prescribed by zoning can accomplish which of the following? A, establish building exterior wall construction. B, minimize the floor area ratio. C, prescribe adjacent building uses. Or D, ensure availability of light and air circulation. Does this sound a little A-R-E? Hopefully. All right, A, B, D, C, D. The correct answer has, did anyone say, oh, wait, wait, let me figure out what the correct answer is, D, ensure availability of light and air circulation. So it's not minimized floor area because zoning does this, but this said setback rules, not even pause. So it was all about the setback rules. It doesn't establish the wall construction and it doesn't do anything to the adjacent buildings. But that, that's typical ARE. It's like you got to find the one thing that matters in the question because the other things apply to, it's like the other things apply to zoning ordinance, but not to setback rules. All right, number three. It is most always the case that when materials fail, they uh, they are directly, or what is directly implicated. So let me repeat that, sorry. It is most always the case that when materials fail, what are directly implicated? A, design and construction deficiencies. B, poor maintenance practices. C, manufacturing defects. D, improper cleaning methods. Is it? I guess. And I'm on, a, on that side of seeing things. All right. What do we got? C. B. C. C. The correct answer is A. Design and construction deficiencies. Number four. The application of thin marble panels to the exterior buildings, such as Chicago's Amoco Tower, exposed a problem with the material that was not fully understood by designers. This problem involved what? A, brittle fracture at connections. B, irreversible expansion under repetitive thermal cycles. C, a rapid deterioration and exposure to acidic environmental conditions. D, considerable variation in material properties from panel to panel. Does anyone need a repeat on that one? Yes? The question or the whole thing? Okay, just the answers. All right. A, brittle fracture at connections. B, irreversible expansion under repetitive thermal cycles. C, a rapid deterioration and exposure to acidic environmental conditions. D, considerable variation in material properties from panel to panel. That one I feel like was tricky. All right, what do we got for answers? B, B, C, B. The correct answer is B, irreversible expansion under repetitive, repetitive thermal cycles. Are we at a tiebreaker or, so we got three, one, one, two. Correct, man, two in a row. Tyler, where are we going to eat? Dickies. 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 Okay. His picks have been spot on yeah. last two times. If you like this show, please leave a five-star review on the iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button and hit subscribe. That's what Mark told me to say. See you next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs>